In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis from all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the Gold Dome. And today we're joined by AJC State House reporter Mark Nisi, whose almost singular focus these days is on covering Georgia elections and Georgia election procedures. Mark, thanks for joining us. Great to talk with you again. It's great to be here. And even though we're all somewhat sequestered during coronavirus, we still have major elections coming up. And a lot of them, I expect pretty high turnout, even if it's most people casting their votes by mail. Yeah, let's get right into that, because um, we're in this unique, I guess, I guess you could almost call it an experiment with vote by mail. Georgia has always been allowed to vote by mail, but this is the biggest expansion of that ever. And it's under of course, um, you know, the stress of, of the coronavirus pandemic um, forcing many Georgians to stay at home uh, and two delays in Georgia elections at the same time that new voting machines are going to be unveiled. So it's kind of a, 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 a crazy uh, coincidence, not coincidence, but convergence of all these different issues. How, how do we get here? Well, it's all because of the coronavirus. Um, you know, the plan was to have our presidential primary on March 24th, and that was going to be the big statewide rollout of Georgia's new voting machines. But then that all changed. You know, the presidential primary was first delayed once, and then the presidential primary and general primary were delayed again until June 9th. And so as soon as very quickly after the presidential primary was delayed, it became clear that the state and the Secretary of State's office and election officials needed to encourage people to vote by mail so they could avoid human contact at voting places. And so many Georgians have embraced that option. The Secretary of State's office sent absentee ballot request forms to nearly 7 million active voters in Georgia, and already 1.2 million of them have returned those request forms. So that's a strong indication that a lot of people are ready to turn in their absentee ballots by mail or in drop boxes and just not really as much going to voting locations in person on election day and during early voting, although that will happen too. Those in-person options have to stay open. Yeah, walk us through this process because you said nearly 7 million voters, active Georgia voters, um, get these ballot request forms. We're at 1.2 million and counting who have returned them and then then they get a ballot then at that point 
um, to fill out, right? That's right. We're a little less than five weeks from election day, and any voter in who is registered in Georgia is eligible to request an absentee ballot. So you return the form that you received in the mail to request an absentee ballot. If you didn't receive a form, you can still vote absentee by downloading an absentee ballot request form or application form from the Secretary of State's office or from your county elections office. It's very easy to Google Georgia absentee ballot application and download it. And you can submit that either by email, fax, or mail. And then your county's election office will process it and you will be sent an actual ballot in the mail. And then you fill it out and return it. And that's how the process works. You have until election day for you to cast a ballot by absentee. It must be received by 7 p.m. on election day. So not postmarked at this time. You ha- So, you know, certainly leave a few days to get it back to your elections office. But um, there will be a lot of people who get their ballots in in time. And then those ballots will start getting counted. And that'll have some interesting consequences as well in that I don't think we'll know results for several days, if not maybe a week until after election day, because it's going to take so long for all these absentee ballots to be counted. That's a that's a really good point. Um, we're we're used to look. We in the media, you know, we're we're used to staying off beyond midnight to get final tallies uh, in some of these elections because of of larger counties, Fulton County. I'm thinking of you. <laughs> Did take a long time to to process votes, but usually we have a call. You know, at least by the early mornings, the Stacey Abrams Governor Kemp election from 18 is the exception. But this year, you're right. We we might it might be a while until we find out um, some of the results, especially for the really hotly contested races that are that are closely divided. Um, like like I'm thinking of the Georgia Senate race against David Perdue, where you've got um, six or seven candidates, but three or, three or so with with formidable campaigns with with with, with, with big apparatuses. And, and and widespread name recognition. It's going to be it's going to be a different uh, tale for Georgia voters who are who are used to getting somewhat timely results who might not get them. Right, and I'm anticipating people will be anxious about that. You know, they'll be looking at results and not knowing what's happening, and then results will start coming in two or three days later in some cases, especially in Georgia's larger larger counties, and people will be wondering, well, who's really winning? Is this process really working? I anticipate a lot of pro questions and concerns, but really that's how absentee balloting works on a large scale in a lot of areas that do absentee or vote-by-mail voting. It does take time to process results, and what's important is that election officials do it in a safe and secure way. It's more important to be accurate and careful than to be timely, as much as we in the public and as reporters would like to know what happened uh, election officials just want to get it right. Yeah, and we saw that on a smaller scale in the Georgia governor's race because, and I say smaller scale because, of course, lots of you know it was huge turnout, but but um, only a smaller percentage of people voted by by absentee ballot. But still, um, you had those results trickling in over the the the, the ten or so days after um, election day back in November two thousand eighteen, and you heard Stacey Abrams um, even as Governor Kemp. Uh, declared victory. Stacey Abrams' kind of mantra was uh, count all the ballots. While so, while the governor was forming a transition team and and looking to to move forward, Stacey Abrams was saying, "No, there's still a chance. There's still a chance this could be forced into a runoff." And obviously, it wasn't. Um, but she wanted she wanted to be count every ballot. 
And we could have a similar situation with some candidates saying, um, yeah, I might be behind, but count every vote. Uh, you know, there you, you could have some candidates who just don't concede um, election for, for, for an understandable reason because they might still have troves of votes out there. Right. And I think one way to look at it is look at what happened in Wisconsin in its April primary. Of course, they had a lot of problems with not enough in-person precincts open in areas like Milwaukee and Green Bay. Um, but also they had a long count, you know, after Election Day, they took, I believe, a week to count absentee ballots before results were released. But in Wisconsin, anyway, there weren't any leaks of results. Everything was counted um, in election offices. Nobody knew what was going to happen until the results were released, although that will be a little bit in, different in Georgia. Results will begin to begin being released on election night. It'll just take time and they'll those results will trickle in one by one until finally we'll know what happened and who is advancing to the November elections. And that, so that's one of the, the, the unique challenges that elections officials face um, in Georgia. But look, you know, this, this has not been a seamless process. You've, you've written about some of the snafus of sending, um, you know, millions of, of ballot request forms out to Georgians. Uh, talk about how elections officials are, are kind of responding and, and kind of changing their strategies. Well, a lot of them are really overwhelmed. It's so much more paper ballot request forms and absentee ballots than they're used to. You know, while Georgia has had absentee voting without having to provide an excuse since 2005, it's always been on a small scale. You know, historically, Georgia, only about 5% of voters choose to vote absentee by mail. This year, it could be 80%. You know, that it could be a huge number of people who decide to vote by mail and county election officials just are much more prepared to handle it on a smaller scale. So we do see a lot of backlogs. We do see delays, especially in Fulton County, where, you know, they're they're steadily catching up in processing these absentee ballot application forms and getting absentee ballots out the door. But I'm receiving a lot of emails every day from voters saying, where's my ballot? I requested it two or three weeks ago and I still don't have my ballot. And just looking at the numbers, you can see that county election officials are moving through the process. But, you know, when you're talking about 100,000 in Fulton County, I'm not sure exactly what the number is now, but probably well over 150,000 applications by now, it, it does take a lot. And they even brought in extra employees from their tax assessor and tax commissioner's office to just open up these forms, scan them, and verify them, and then start sending out the ballots. So it just is a manual intensive process that takes a little time. Fortunately, we do still have time before election day, and it's very likely that once they catch up on that backlog, that absentee ballot request will be turned around very quickly. It's just a matter of catching up from that flood of initial requests pouring in right after voters receive them in the mail and then drop them back off to their county election offices. At the same time, there's been a sort of a political debate um, over mail-in ballots. I think everyone kind of acknowledges that this is this is what ha- needs to happen right now. But if the pandemic subsides and we're in August for the runoff or we're in um, November for the general election, um, you know, there, there are some Republicans out there who are raising the alarms about uh, continued expanded mail-in ballots uh, because of uh, voter fraud. And you, you covered Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger 
um, kind of outlining a voter fraud task force aimed at preventing what Repu- what some Republicans at least see as a threat. Right. And he may have done that in part because of the concerns from Republican leaders from President Donald Trump to House Speaker David Ralston, who questioned whether absentee voting by mail would contribute to higher rates of absentee voting fraud. Um, we don't know if that's true or not. What we do know is that voting fraud and election fraud is rare in Georgia. It does happen on a small scale, usually with a husband voting for a wife or a mom voting for a daughter or a election official inadvertently accepting a ballot or rejecting a ballot that they should have. That's all considered fraud, but it's not what people think about when they think about rigged elections. You know, we're talking about one or two votes across an entire state in, you know, in in specific elections. It isn't usually the kind of thing that people associate with, like in North Carolina a couple of years ago, when a candidate's campaign had an absentee ballot collection process that resulted in a redo Mm. of that election. So, you know, fraud is one concern, and it's always a partisan issue where generally the Republican Party is more concerned about voting security and fraud, while the Democratic Party is more concerned about voting access and voting suppression. And so that's the political discussion and debate that goes on where, you know, you have to weigh those two concerns. You want an election that is both open to eligible voters, but also secure. And there's a constant back and forth about where you fall on that spectrum between security and access. Yeah. And then uh, on the the other side of the ledger, the Democrats have raised concerns about what they see as a if not a poll tax, you know, an undue burden on some voters who have to put postage stamps um, on their ballots uh, in order to get them counted, and, and might not be able to get out to a post office or to a, or to one of those drop boxes you were mentioning earlier to cast the ballots. How has the Secretary of State responded to that concern? Well, first of all, a federal judge ruled last week that Georgia's requirement for postage on absentee ballots is being upheld for the June 9th primary. It is not an unconstitutional poll tax, at least for now, although the judge is still considering the larger issue of whether it's a poll tax for future elections. But at least for June 9th, an election that's already underway, it's not really feasible to say that you have, the state government has to provide postage costs of mailing absentee ballots. That said, while you're told to add postage onto your ballot. You don't really have to. The U.S. Postal Service has a policy that it will deliver ballots even without postage. Although I and I think many voters will probably put a stamp on there anyway. It makes me feel a little bit more comfortable that my ballot will be delivered and counted if I put postage on it rather than rely on the Postal Service to deliver the ballot. As for the Secretary of State's office, you know, they pretty much refer to Georgia law and policy, and they say, yes, postage is required for absentee ballots. It would um, be a change for the state to fund postage, and that would be a policy decision, but that decision hasn't been made so far. It's always been the practice in Georgia that voters are responsible for putting a stamp on their absentee ballots. 
You, you mentioned earlier the possibility that we could have Georgia could see even higher turnout than expected because of all this, which I think is is a strong possibility too. Have you, you 1.2 million ballots and counting, um, ballot request forms and counting. Um, has there been a spike, an, an unusual spike in, in parts of the state or parts of the, uh, you know, part, parts of the voting blocks that you, that you were surprised by? It's still so early in the process. You know, so far, more people have requested Republican Party ba- ballots than Democratic Party ballots, but it's hard to draw conclusions about that because, you know, the counties that are most backlogged are the larger, largest metro area counties, you know, Fulton, Gwinnett, Cobb, DeKalb, which are heavily Democratic Party or partially Democratic Party areas in some cases. So there are still a lot of absentee ballot requests out there that haven't been processed yet. And we don't know what the numbers will look like once those city areas and county areas catch up. Also, you know, I kind of think that the people who return their absentee ballot request forms already are most likely to be the people who are used to absentee balloting, you know, um, the older voters who have done it in the past and automatically vote absentee every time. For people new to the process, they might be taking a little bit more time to get their absentee ballot request form in. So it really remains to be seen how it's going to play out in terms of who votes absentee, who votes in person, whether it's going to be more prevalent among different groups or in different areas or different parties. Um, You know, I'm very interested in watching how it plays out, but it's still five weeks out from the election and we don't know yet which people are going to latch on to this way of voting. But so far, just the number alone, 1.2 million so far, and that number is only growing, indicates that a lot of people are embracing this. You know, when the government sends you a form and says, you can vote by mail, you don't have to go to the polls, and people are um, still a little resistant to being around strangers with good reason because of the coronavirus, it is something that is widespread across all groups. Um, you know, I think a lot of people who are interested in voting in primaries are interested in doing so not in a communal area. And, and one of the reasons, too, and I'm just speculating, but one of the reasons, too, we might see a, um, an increased number of, of uh, re- Republican um, uh, absentee ballot request forms over Democrats is that there are three Republican-held seats in Congress in U.S. House that are open um, now, the 7th, the 9th, and the 14th. And so there's a lot of local interest in those seats. And you've got more than a dozen candidates uh, all told running in all those different seats, uh, a lot of well-known figures in, the, in those local communities. So that, that might help explain some of the drive. But, of course, you've also got a statewide um, Democratic Senate race as well for the rights to challenge David Perdue. Mark, what are the most frequently asked questions you get? Because I know you get you probably get flooded with, with with readers who are wondering about how they cast their ballots and wondering about the, the peculiarities of the system. So what are you hearing most from, from our readers? 
We're hearing a lot of questions about even what's on the ballot and how to make sure their votes are counted. Um, Some of the most common questions are, why isn't the U.S. Senate race between a number of candidates, including Senator Kelly Loeffler and U.S. Representative Doug Collins and a slew of Democrats, why isn't that on the ballot? And of course, that's a special election that will be decided in November. And then voters ask, well, why do I have to request why do I have to pick a political party? I just want a ballot. And, you know, this is a primary where you do vote either a Republican or Democratic Party ballot. So, you know, that's how primaries... Oh, I said, or nonpartisan. You can pick up a nonpartisan Right, right. You can pick a nonpartisan ballot, but why would you? Um, there aren't any of the major races on nonpartisan ballots. You can't vote for president. You can't vote for... Um, U.S. Senate, you can't vote for a U.S. representative. You can only vote for judges or sheriffs in most cases. So a nonpartisan ballot, you can, but you'll miss out on some of the more high interest races. And then, of course, voters can check on whether their absentee ballot has been accepted and received. You can go to the Secretary of State's My Voter page and just type in your information and you can view sample ballots and you can see whether your ballot has been processed. Um, Mark, I want to ask you this, and I know it's not an easy question, but fast forward to, let's say, December um, after um, after the, the November general election. Do you think going into, let's say, the next legislative session, um, if if this goes pretty smoothly, you could see Republicans try to also push for expanded mail-in ballots? You know, if... if, if if this becomes a new kind of way of life, just like so pandemic is up, upturning, upending all other parts of Georgia life? It's really hard to say. You know, number one, it has to go smoothly. Number two, it has to generate a result that the majority party in our General Assembly finds politically feasible and practical to them. You know, if there is a perception that absentee balloting benefits one party or another, then it might be harder to make more long lasting. And then there's the other factor. It depends what voters response is. You know, if voters really like it, then they'll put pressure on their elected officials to enable it more in the future. But, you know, even if nothing is extended, you know, what's different in this election is that the Secretary of State's office sent absentee ballot request forms to all active voters without them having to ask for it. But even if that program doesn't continue, a lot of voters will probably continue to vote by mail, I think. I suspect that once people do it once, they'll probably do it again, even if they don't receive a form in their mailboxes asking them if they want to. You know, you can still download an absentee ballot request form and send it into your county election office. So regardless of whether, as a policy choice, the state continues to emphasize voting by mail, I think a lot of voters will latch onto it and see, you know, why Why am I waiting in line at a precinct when I can get my ballot in the mail, take my time and get my ballot in early and be done with it? I think that'll be appealing to a lot of voters. Yeah. I mean, just like just like so much else has changed this, with this pandemic, um, the, the way we vote will, will be changing too. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this is terrific. And I know you've got a lot more stories coming on this on these issues. So stay tuned. Follow him at at Mark Nisi, 
on Twitter and, of course, at theajc.com. Great. Thanks, Greg. And anyone out there, feel free to ask me questions. Uh, the AJC wants to be a service to voters and be able to help them navigate this process, which has some, sometimes can be confusing. So um, feel free to tweet or email me or call me, and um, I'll do my best to answer all of your questions about how to vote in Georgia. That's all for this edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Visit AJC.com slash politics for all the latest in Georgia news. I'm Greg Bluestein signing off. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.